I want to thank you, Aubrey, for the privilege in preaching today, the first Sunday of the year, Epiphany Sunday, and the day we welcome Church of the Lamb. Isn't it great to be able to say that? Welcome, Church of the Lamb. We thank you for your, I thank you for your confidence, and uh, I only hope it doesn't wane by the 55th minute of my sermon. Um, <clears throat> Now, we celebrate the Epiphany, as Aubrey mentioned briefly, that uh, this day highlighting the three kings, the Magi. Even though the Magi were not kings, we sang it, we three kings, right? Uh, We don't know how many there were. We only say that because there were three gifts. The term Epiphany means to show or to reveal, to make known. And the wise men who brought gifts to the child Jesus were the first Gentiles to acknowledge Jesus is king and worship him. And so they were the first to show or reveal Jesus to a wider world as the incarnate Christ. This act of worship, which corresponded to Simeon's blessing that this child Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, was one of the first indications that Jesus came for all people of all nations, of all races, And that the work of God in the world is not limited to only a few. I want to start with a story. And it's a story about a guy named Hanif. Hanif was a devout Muslim in Africa, East Africa. And he had kept all of the Quranic rituals. And he even led prayers. He was a sheikh, a matter of fact. But Hanif, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. But Hanif had many doubts and questions over his life. And had even experienced many troubling and frightening nightmares. But one night... He had one that wasn't actually bad at all. And a matter of fact, it was filled with hope and a call to action. It was like none other he had ever had. He had met a man in a dream who was addressed, who addressed him by name. And he told him that he simply had to serve him. But with a warning that he must learn to listen to him. So Hanif asked, who are you? I am Isa al-Masih, the Quranic term for Jesus the Messiah. Scott Hansen, did I say that correctly, that Arabic accent? Um, And if you only obey me, you will succeed in what you have longed for in your life. What should I do, Hanif asked. Jesus showed him a tree standing alone atop a hill and a very busy uh, road running beneath its branches. And Hanif recognized the place where it was well known nearby him, not too far away. Jesus then showed, showed him the face of a man. And he said, go, he is my servant. You will recognize him when you see him, find him, for he will show you the true answers to all your questions about God. So, Hanif left and waited for 12 hours at the intersection under the tree. He searched everyone's face, you know, people coming, you know, getting close to sunset, people coming from a distance. Is this the one? Is this the one? You see, for many years he had prayed, 17 times a day, asking God to show him the right way. But until this dream, he had feared that he would die without ever experiencing the right way of true peace and certainty. Several miles away, a guy named Wafi was heading home. And he was anticipating uh, getting home the next day because he had been out church planning with two other uh, brothers, brothers in Christ. And that night, he had a dream in which God said to him, I will give you a sheik. The next day at sunset, he was walking along with two other believers and at an intersection met this ecstatic, zealous dude that came running up to him and said, my friend, understand, it is Isa al-Masih himself that requires you to answer my questions tonight. You must answer my questions now. Well, 
what was Wafi going to do? But he, did, he relented and went home with him, changing his plans, of course. And Ahanif and his wife both experienced what true freedom in Jesus Christ is several days later. Free from uncertainty, legalism, discouragement, and they were made a new creation in Christ. I bring this story to you for a few reasons. Number one, to report. I think it's important for us to hear how God is at work in our world, and particularly amongst what is considered to be one of the hardest to reach populations, the Muslims. The story, amongst many others, uh, are highlighted in a book. uh, It's called Miraculous Movements by Jerry Truesdale. And from the best I can tell, he has done considerable research and he demonstrates how God is moving in the Muslim world and how churches are being planted there like wildfire. But what's interesting is that of the the former Muslim leaders that they surveyed, um, that 40% of them who who came to know uh, Isa al-Masih, 40% 40% of them had dreams that, that were instrumental to, to, to this happening. And all of the dreams were very, very unique to each individual, but were in some way leading them to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Aslan is on the move. The same God who revealed a vision in himself to Hani and, Hanif, Hanif and Wafi, excuse me, is the same God who revealed himself to others throughout times in various and unique ways. Not just visions and dreams, but sometimes so. From Abraham to Joseph, to Moses in the burning bush, to Naaman the Gentile general asked to bathe in the muddy waters of the Jordan, to Rahab the Gentile prostitute from Jericho, to the Gentiles of Nineveh through Jonah, the reluctant grumpy prophet who was barfed on the beach by a large fish, To a very young lady called Mary, to the very confused Joseph, to the shepherds in their underwhelming occupation, overwhelmed by the choir of angels, to the Gentile magi from far away, to the centurion and all his household, to the Samaritan woman by the well, to Augustine, to slave trader turned amazing grace hymn writer John Newton, to people even today like Eric Metaxas. I don't know if you know who that is. He's the guy who was a scriptwriter for Veggie Tales. He also wrote a great biography uh, Dietrich, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, that guy, and Eric was, uh, having, had a dream that was instrumental to him coming to know the Lord. He dreamed about, hold your breath, a fish that he caught ice fishing. And that was instrumental to him coming to know the Lord. I'm going to leave it at that and let you find out about more about that, the details of it, and tantalize you with the story. But that's what led him to the Savior, Eric Metaxas. I mention these stories not simply to highlight the sensational nature of visions and dreams, but to remind you that our God is the surprising God and will work in the most unexpected means to reach us at times, in the most unexpected moments, when we are least deserving, when we are least deserving. But in ways that are unique to each of us and contextualized to each of us, to our heart, language, and culture, so that we can hear and understand that his glory, the joy of his salvation, and life with him as a new creation can be revealed. So how does God speak and reach out to the Magi, surprising us and them? Well, the Magi coming from the east, probably Persia, were astrologers, magicians, interpreters of dreams. Remember Daniel, Meshach, and to bed we go, or Abednego? They were kind of like them, advisors to royalty, wise men. Most other times throughout the Bible, they are condemned. But it's Matthew who actually speaks of them in positive terms. 
For as much as God does not like astrology, he loves astrologers. A God of outrageous grace. He will do whatever it takes to draw them to himself. There are a lot of different theories as to what happened in the event in the skies that took place that night. It could have been Haley's Comet. It could have been, uh, I've heard a, a pretty sophisticated theory that Jupiter, often representing Rome and Saturn representing Israel, uh, aligned that same year, and it does every 850 years, and that year it aligned three times, on May 29th, October 3rd, and December 4th, and it does that every 850 years. It's very rare, and we know that there was a major rumor at the time that a great king would come out of Judea. And it wasn't just the Jews hoping for this. It was the pagans as well. They were, they were believing this wild rumor as well. And you see, omens from the stars in the time of Jesus were nothing to be brushed aside. One can say that, really, that kind of hasn't stopped today if you look at the popularity of horoscopes. But the appearance of comets, for example, were assumed to pretend or announce the birth of the death of someone of great consequence. Suetonius, he tells us what a great, uh, that a great comet appeared over Rome and Nero, covering his bases, took the precaution of having several Roman noblemen executed. So that would have declared their deaths and not his. So you put those two together, possibly the Saturn and, and Jupiter uh, plant, planetary alignment and the rumors, and this could have led the Magi or... It could have just been plain old supernatural interstellar occurrence that God performed, and we just can't conceive of what it was. Nevertheless, God gave them a star. He uses their study of stars as misguided as astrology can be to lead them. Should we be surprised, really, that the God who reaches all the people I listed just recently... That the same God who called Persian or, or Mede astrologers to reveal who Jesus really is. Should we be surprised at this? Should we be surprised? Matthew's story begins with Gentiles coming to pay homage to a child. In between, Matthew alone tells the story of the Roman centurion, a Goyan or Gentile, whose faith was declared greater than anyone Jesus had met. And he ends the gospel, how? With the disciples worshiping the resurrected Jesus on the mountain. Where he shares the great commission saying to the, saying to the world, make disciples of all nations. Jesus came on a mission to change the nature of spiritual reality in which all kinds of people are drawn. Here is the ironic, the unexpected, the untamable God. Here is the missional reaching out God, the God who reaches us and reveals himself, the in whom no people are too alien for him to find. You could say that God reveals himself to the Magi by contextualization, an in vogue term today that pioneers and visionaries like Mike Trainum have long understood. Tim Keller talks about this saying that contextualization is not giving people what they want, but rather giving people God's answers to questions as they ask them and in terms that they can understand. That's what happened to Hanif. That's what happened to the Magi, and that's what is happening to us. You see, we have a culture. Church of the Incarnation, Church of the Lamb. What do you call the English Standard Version Bible? The Message, a Living Bible, a New International Version Bible. Take a look at all the versions that we see over the centuries. The first King James Bible print outside. Can, what an amazing exhibit. 
Did you see that when you walked in? First King James, and you read, read the first the King James and how they read with all those thou's and these. That's how they talked back then. <clears throat> Elk, I believe it was uh, Tim Keller as well. He said, um, there was an African-American gentleman. He said, you know, you don't know you have a culture. When you whites worship, you just think that's how it's done. My friend Will Shaw, he came to visit us a couple years ago when we were at the Madison Mortgage Building. And he left and he was like, geez, Ernie, I feel like I, I came out of there feeling like I need to shave my head, grow a beard, and wear nerdy glasses or something. <laughs> Some Africans, <clears throat> they say, and I'm not sure which country in Africa, they say um, that hymns are worship songs white people sing with their hands by their side. <laughs> But here's the thing. All other religions are rightly called ethnic religions because they are generally related to a particular culture, region, or people. Christianity is not a white man's religion, but Semitic. It's Jewish, not Western. Born in the Near East of Palestine, the crossroads of Asia, Africa, and Europe. Hinduism restricted to Indian Asian culture. Islam, would you see this, the, these scriptures in very many different languages and dialects in, a, in an Arabic mosque? I don't think so. Because the Arabic is the, the, the language that they would use. You wouldn't see... Uh, Indy did one... I'm not sure what the language is. Is it Sanskrit? Or does anybody know? Indy, you hear? What's that? Singalese. And we have over here... Sam did one in, um, in Chinese. Over here. And I didn't even take in all the rest of them. But you can see that this would not be happening in many other religions. In most religions. Today, Jesus is like a magnet attracting from all cultures. Long before multicultural was cool, there has been a diversity in the family of God and the community of Jesus. Let us not forget that on Pentecost, the gospel was being spread to many languages. It was less than 80 years ago that the most advanced countries in science, philosophy, and the military, technology, like America, Germany, and Japan, were proponents of the eugenics theories which said that certain races like Aryans or Japanese were superior. You do know that we are under the diocese of the Anglican Church of Rwanda, right? Is that the way you say it? Okay. In Africa. You do know that the church is exploding in China. And incidentally, we could be praying for them. It's been under uh, increased persecution as of late. I told you about what's happening in Muslim communities, in the continent of Africa, in Latin America, and the Pacific Rim nations. Jesus' universal appeal is one of the most cogent evidences that he indeed is the savior of the world. Here's what's fascinating about this story as we look at the Magi. Their presence from the east of strangers helped bring to light to Herod and his men, his wise men, something that they weren't seeing. Herod's scribes found that, in fact, it was written and prophesied that a king would be born and in Bethlehem. As we worship with, work side by side, care for, listen, and incorporate people from other cultures who look, act, and perhaps speak differently into our fellowship, we understand something very, very important about God and his kingdom. We see and hear that his glory is covering all the earth. And it is a kingdom being built inside and outside of our sphere through people we will one day be shocked to be rubbing shoulders with before the throne. We see that God is much bigger than our culture. And I wanted to remind us of that this morning. But also about who God is and also remind us who we are as churches, plural, 
Church of the Lamb, Church of the Incarnation. I want to remind us that it's in our DNA to be this way. I've already said we're under the Anglican uh, Church of Rwanda. That is our institutional DNA, right? But did you know that one of the initial participants of the Church of the Incarnation plant team was an indigenous Bolivian single mother? You see, I had met Janina Prado at a bowl of good. It was four years ago, four and a half years ago. The World Cup was going. I had seen her every day sitting kind of alone, meek and mild in the corner. And when I started talking to her, it was Chile and I can't remember the other team playing. We got to talking. She, she needed a place to stay. We had an apartment in our basement. I invited her over to look at it the next day. She looked at it. We said, hey, great. Maybe, maybe you could stay here. Uh, why don't you come to the goods party the following day? In the meantime, we called and did some background checks, and we found out that Janina was pregnant. She was a, several months pregnant, and she was part of a, a she was here at EMU in a Fulbright scholarship program. Uh, at that time, the only uh, indigenous Bolivian to receive that. And we went to the Goods house, and that meeting was to be the one, I believe, that we were going to call this preacher way down south named Aubrey Spears. And see if he'd be interested in coming up here. It was a potluck at the pool, the goods house. And as we were being called to eat, and my mind was on food, uh, she's sitting right in front of me with tears in her eyes. And she was trembling. And she said, do you know? And I said, yeah, I know. She asked me, uh, so may I still move into your apartment? (laughs) And I said, yeah, see, mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. And then we both cried. And from that moment on, Janina belonged not only to our family, but to the family of the Church of the Incarnation. You all welcomed her with open arms. And after dinner, I believe we phoned Aubrey. Janita had her beautiful baby, Salma, and many of us nurtured her during this time. And she found her faith in Jesus Christ, baptizing Salma here at our church. And she continues to follow our church, and she's in La Paz now, and has revisited us even here several times. Very early on, Alec came to our church, very early on. And Alec is married to Elf, who is from China. And that has been a blessing to us. And our friendship with Elf has brought us, opened another, a window to the world. And we continue to pray with Alec and Elf As we walk with her and Alec with her newborn Lucas. The second year that we worshipped uh, with the Church of the Res, Resurrection, up at Massanetta Springs. It was at the end of the service and we encountered two wonderful Maasai named Alice and Solomon. They were here on a teacher grant program at JMU and Michelle had brought them to the service because they were looking for a place to worship. They're Anglican. And at the end of the service, they were ecstatic because they had found a body of believers that worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. They had not encountered that yet in their time here in America. And they went on to attend our church until they had to return to Kenya. And now Michelle works with Alice in the girls' school program called Nasaruni. Am I pronouncing that right? Nasaruni. And she continues to work with that. And I'll mention that a little later. From there, it seemed like we received a marvelous Kenyan and African wave. Moy Guy, who played the piano and worship, led worship with us, and Valerie, Natalie, and Nathan, their children, who are now gone and are serving in Uganda as MCC directors. Stephen Agnes and Sayan, who will be leaving any day now for Tanzania. And I believe Stephen has decided to run for parliament. Is that correct, Jacob? Is that, have you heard? 
would be running for parliament there. And the amazing Sankoy family with Leah, Dennis, Mayan, and Maloy along with Nessie. And then Jacob, Doris, and De- or Debo, and Jacob's brother Martin began attending via the Deatons. Their presence and fellowship with us together has been remarkably significant. And our small group has been so enriched by their insights, seeing God at work in their lives, both here and in the families and in their communities back home. At one point, we were definitely the minority in our own home and small group, with even people like Shenouda from Egypt attending for a while. I want to not only just remind us, but I want to recharge us. Recharge in the two senses of the word, re-energize, but recharge or re, this is your charge. Say it again. This is your charge. How do we continue being this way? How do we continue being a blessing to all nations and then being a blessing to us? How does Church of the Lamb continue reflecting this missional character of God in which no people are too alien for him to find? Here's some very, very practical tips. One, major in hospitality. Hospitality for anyone in your home, in your work, in your life space. Hospitality, hospitality, hospitality. And what this means, possibly, is that we have to sacrifice our cultural pride that our house may not be picked up or that our dishes not put away as we were scrambling out the door in the morning. You see, many Americans culturally think we have to be Martha Stewart ready with matching napkins, table floral arrangement, and a five-course meal to invite someone over. Get over it and make yourself vulnerable to all kinds of people. What people want more than anything today is community, care, love, and to be listened to. Who cares about the thingamadoodle napkin things that hold them together or whether you have a four-star meal? Recently, there was an article, just, just I saw it on Facebook, written by Kristen Palmer Moore, the news leader. And it's about a family here in Harrisonburg, a Davis family. And what they do, what they've done now is just an awesome activity. Twelve consecutive days, smack in the middle of Christmas season, they invite 12 random guests to a dinner party. Invitees go to the Cafe Davis website. Uh, where they, they sign up for a day and the day that they want to attend, knowing what the menu will be, but not who the other guests are. I don't even know if these guys are believers or not, but it was just a fantastic idea. The only thing they were required to bring was dessert. All beverages and food was provided for, and now here's the money quote. She said, Kirsten said, I walked to the car inspired and in awe, not of extravagant food or a spotless house but of the generosity, sincerity, and overwhelming hospitality that was shown to us that night. The Goods recently moved into a new house, Esther and Ed, and last night they hosted a brilliant party at their house in which the neighbors were invited for a house blessing party. It was, just a, it was a great excuse, and they took advantage of this, just to have their neighbors over and bless them. Zeke and Jesse make it so simple and easy. Their door is open every day at 3 o'clock for anyone who would like to come by for coffee. Now, don't all go at once. And if you do, bring some coffee maybe. Help them out. <laughs> As we have seen with the East Africans who have attended our church, when and if they go back to their culture and community, they become missionaries sent through our church. I believe we have a golden opportunity here in our backyard with a melting pot of a community. Become a student of a culture and a people group. Pick one. There's lots of them. Start with their food, 
Learn a food. They're gonna be, we're going to be learning about it within the next month, uh, how to make hot pot. Shi Wei is a Chinese student living in the US, and we don't know what hot pot is. We're going to learn what it is and how to do it and just go for it. David Cooper, he organizes uh, a monthly birthday party for the Line Weaver folks every Tuesday, uh, the second Tuesday at 5 o'clock here. Come and celebrate with them. Learn some people that are outside of your cultural norm. Michelle, uh, she shared with me about a program at JMU called the Life Program. And basically, you do have to go through an application process, which sounds daunting, but it's very simple, apparently. And you can connect once per, you can connect, they'll connect you with a student, an international student here at GMU, for an entire year where every month you host them, just doing anything, you know, watch the Pittsburgh Steelers lose, or go to see, um, you know, whatever, Uh, go to a a concert or something, Uh, but you just host them once a month, that's all you do. And you just share this kind of, she can share more information about it, it's called the Life Program. I also told you about Michelle and the Nasaruni program in, in, uh, in Africa uh, with Alice. But Fran and Leah Sankoy, they have been working at the girls' school program. And one of the board members is a bishop, Bishop Moses. He's, he's the husband of Alice. And he is coming here in March and April. He's a bishop of 100 churches. We think Aubrey's something special with his two churches here. <laughs> 100 churches. And he's coming uh, this March and April, and we need a host for them, for him, and to show him around, just make him comfortable. Michelle also works at the Skyline Literacy Program for citizenship. It's an awesome way to connect with internationals. You can talk to her more about that. These are handles and ideas, but let me give a word of warning. Being singled out for special attention because of your skin color or appearance can be incredibly awkward. I can speak with a little bit of credibility with this because my children sometimes experience this. I was talking with a couple um, and who have darker skin than mine, which is not too hard. And they mentioned their experience in a church that uh, one, sun- one Sunday they had one of these racial reconciliation Sundays, you know. And afterwards, uh, even though they had been attending for several months, afterwards they were accosted by everybody. Welcome to our church and pats in the back and all this kind of stuff. And they just felt so weird and stupid and just you know, like, where we've been here for several months. Be careful of that. When I talk about being hospitable, I'm not only referring to people who have a different language, accent, or skin color than us. What I'm saying is there are people among us who are the alien and the stranger because they may be more into NASCAR than mountain biking. Or they may be singles without much of a family to go to over the holidays. Or because as a middle-aged guy, they have lots and lots of hair on their head with no glasses and no facial hair. The point is, if we are practicing learning and developing the habit of hospitality, maybe purposely preparing more for lunch with the intent of having a surprise visitor over the church, then it will become natural for us to be welcoming and the outsiders can then bless us all the more, as the Magi did. Now, I want to circle back to our passage. Where we see that the Magi were led by the star to Jerusalem. It wasn't until they were there that they received scriptural confirmation where they learned it was in Bethlehem. Where the Messiah King would be born. The star followers were confirmed by scripture in their searching. This indeed is a good reminder lest we get sidetracked with visions and dreams. That you know God told me that you know we should have red curtains versus blue curtains or whatever. God can and does use signs and wonders but congruently and confirming with his written word. 
We also see on the flip side that the scribes' mastery of the scriptures does not lead to obedience. There simply was no curiosity to confirm or deny what the Magi was news they were bringing, right? Isn't it interesting that only Herod was troubled? Not that not only Herod was troubled, but also all of Jerusalem. We see the same language later in Matthew's gospel when, when Jesus arrives on the outskirts of Jerusalem. The city is again shaken or unnerved. Why? Perhaps because the people knew that when Herod and or Rome are not happy, no one is happy. In this story, we see contrasting responses to the news of the Messiah. And I'm going to summarize them visually with my hand. For those who may be listening on the computer, <clears throat> I'm holding a tight-fisted hand. Visual aids help me. This is Herod's response. The fist. The paranoid, demented, miserable, distorted, self-preservationist who died shortly after this narrative, actually. He responded with destruction and anger, wielding his fist of power by slaughtering all the young boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. We do that sometimes, don't we? Out of fear, paranoia, or feelings where we're out of control in life, we respond with anger, bitterness, projection, victimization, tearing down others. Sometimes, even self-destruction through substance abuse or eating habits. We discover that really, we don't choose as much as we think we do in our life. Our birth, our location, our parents, our economic status, when we die. We discover that really, we are not created to be Lord of our life. If we listen and respond with an open-handed response to God, we find that we were created to be filled with something greater than ourself, and that is Jesus Christ. When you submit to Jesus, you submit to life itself, the author of life, the author of peace, the author of all joy, love. To turn yourself over to him, who can make it complete because he knows how that can happen. In surrendering yourself and giving up your life, you, find it, you will find it makes a new creation. But look, what's the second response? It was the religious leaders. And I'm going to show it my hand closed again, but this time less of a fist and more of a clenched hand, holding it all together. They're holding life tightly. The scribes were in the top of the society, consulted by the kings, invited to the best parties and gatherings, had their finances and life in a row. They held life together. They kept it safe. It was under control. But disturbances, rabble-rousers, unexpected news, that's bad. For it rocks the boat of their perceived perfect life balance. So the unexpected was a threat. An outrageous and comprehensible God Reaching out to the unlovable, the Goyan Gentile, who makes his grand entry into the world via a feed trough and literally dies to be in personal relationship with us. The clenched hand wanting control finds it difficult to open the hand, to let go of the mirage of self-control they have on life and go on the wild journey, the pilgrimage, with the untamable, unexpected, life-fulfilling God. The Magi's response was a desert crossing, one step at a time, open-handed response. In my video work and profession, um, <clears throat> I work with scripts and stories and plots. So I respond well to the imagery like um, this uh, quote that Michael Horton said. He said, the good news is not just a series of facts to which we yield our assent, 
but a dramatic narrative that replots our identity. The good news is not just a series of facts to which we yield our assent, but a dramatic narrative that replots our identity. Each week we come to church with our own scripts, the show about us, and really nothing. Yet God descends with a new script in which a rich plot is introduced, where our original character dies and is raised with the lead character. Instead of finding a supporting role for, our God, for God in our own play, God writes into his script us as part of a growing cast for a new world. The script doesn't just provide a blueprint, but through the gospel, the spirit sweeps us up into a new creation. Our character dies and is raised with the lead character in a completely new life. This is a message of revelation, promise, and a drama of fulfillment that the spirit sweeps us up by faith. Let's learn to listen to, the, uh, to, to him in this new year, just as Hanif did. Learn to listen. Let us respond with the treasure of our life given to him in worship. To have our identity replotted. I'm going to ask you, just frankly, have you replotted your identity in Jesus? Do you need to be asked? Will you replot your identity in Jesus today? New Year, 2015. There's no better time, right? During communion, and as always, you are invited into the foyer. Um, this is the beginning, middle, and end of communion, where people are praying for various reasons. Um, I invite you today, if, if this is the day you want to replot your identity in Christ, to do that. Go and pray with the pilgrim, losing your life, but finding it in Jesus. Let's pray.